My name is Andrew Bordak, president of the Etzion Foundation and a Talmud of the Yeshiva and Ravan. Allow me to express my gratitude to all of you for joining us for this evening's program. Notwithstanding his having left these shores more than four decades ago, tonight's large turnout reflects the profound and deep impact and influence that Moreno Verabeno Haravarn Lichtenstein Zatzal had on all of us. As a fitting tribute to the memory of Ravarn, we are privileged this evening to have here among us and addressing us family members, Talmidemu Hakim, and leaders of the yeshiva today. Dr. Tova Lichtenstein is an incredible and accomplished individual in her own right. And at the same time, one cannot describe the achievements and life works of Rav Aaron Zatzal without acknowledging her role. Dr. Lichtenstein's support of, devotion to, and partnership with Rav Aaron was critical in the development of the yeshiva into the leading Torah institution it has become today. I'm privileged to welcome and introduce Dr. Tova Lichtenstein to Badeo L'chaim Arokim. Dear friends, it was just a little more than a month ago that my husband, Rabarin, Alala Ginzei Marom, suddenly and unexpectedly. This is the first opportunity that I have to pay cognizance to the response of this community in the United States to his ptira. Your response reflected the deep bond that was forged over the years in which many of you were Talmudim, read what he wrote, or were exposed to him in a variety of ways. Your response has comforted me personally, as it has comforted the members of my family. The Edot HaMizrach comfort mourners with the hope that Min HaShamayim Tenuchamu, this formulation assumes that the mourner stands alone and asks the Almighty to bestow comfort upon a sad and bereft individual. In contrast, Edot Ashkenaz comfort mourners by extending the Nechama of the Almighty to the mourner as he or she joins together with Shar Avelei Tzion Yerushalayim, the other's mourners of Tzion and Yerushalayim. The mourner is transformed at that moment from one who mourns a personal loss to a member of a holy and age-old community bereft of Yerushalayim and Zion, an ancient loss, mourning or ban habayat Yerushalayim. When mourning is shared by those who have a common loss, whose loss is related to the commonality of the Jewish experience, then the mourner is not alone but has support and empathy. And when one mourns a husband and father who was the rav of literally thousands, one is part of a larger community that mourns the loss of Zion and Yerushalayim in a very particular sense. If Talmidim are indeed Banim, and I am convinced that this is so, then my husband's biological children who are also his spiritual children, are supported and comforted by their spiritual brothers and sisters, the whole Atar Atar. My mourning, however, has an additional flavor. 
You are certainly familiar with the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Ein ish met ishto. Vein isha meta elalabala. Ein ish meta, ein ish met elalishto, shenemar, vayamat alimelech ish naomi. Vein isha meta labala, shenemar, vani bavoi mi padana ram, meta alai rachel. Elimelech is described not as Ishmi Beit Lechem Yehuda, as in the opening verses of Megillat Rut, but as Ish Naomi. And Yaakov Avinu tells his son, who lost his mother at a young age, Meta Alai Rachel. And indeed, the lives of both Naomi and Yaakov were completely altered. One lost control over his family, while the other needed to take control in order to resurrect her family. Morning work requires retrospective reflection, and I have to reflect an over on over a half a century of public and private memories, a task that is not easy. I would even suggest to you a task that is formidable. Freud commented, in mourning, it is the world which has become poor and empty. Retrospective reflection returns the mourner to the past, when the world was richer and fuller, and enables the mourner to integrate and internalize the experience and the relationship with the deceased differently, knowing that the past is gone, as is the person. My retrospective journey is not a solitary one, however. Many of you here tonight were partners in the events of long ago, and many of you were witnesses or participants in later segments of the journey. And I have come here this evening to join with you in reflecting upon the relationship of my husband, Reb Aaron, to the religious community in America, in the States. I would like to suggest to you that paradoxically, paradoxically, his influence here in the United States was greater because he left La Lotaatza than if he had stayed in the United States. Rosh Chodesh Av will mark the 44th anniversary of Aliyah, our Aliyah. At that time, there were many who considered our decision foolhardy and irresponsible. Our decision was a three-pronged one. The first was Aliyah, leaving the United States and joining Ha'am Hayoshev B'Tzion. Which good American Zionist does such a thing? I do not know what happens today, but four decades ago, Zionism was a sensibility that needed no practical manifestation. The Shanahabab Yerushalayim was a messianic hope rather than an imperative. And those who chose to implement that age-old saying were the exception. The response to our decision was one of surprise and shock. The second decision, an integral part of the first, was to leave Yeshiva University. My husband was a product of YU, and he remained loyal to it his whole life. He had earned his BA there, had received smicha there, had taught at Stern College, was a Ramid Ritz, where all the Ramim were then as now called Rashe Yeshiva and Rosh Kolel. He headed the first Kolel from its inception, and it was he who nurtured it, developed it, and mentored it in the same thorough and devoted manner that he was later to develop Yeshiva Tar Itzion. 
and he left knowing full well that he had institutionally burned his bridges as he was told in no uncertain terms, believe me in no uncertain terms, that once he left there was no return. And the third decision was to join Harav Amital at Yeshivat Haritzion. Yeshivat Haritzion, 44 years ago, was housed in several, several prefabricated buildings on the site that was to become, but was not yet, a Schwut. The place was almost inaccessible. The living conditions were rugged. There were few students and very little budget. There were those who could not understand how Rabbaman had chosen this yeshiva of all places, a foolhardy and irresponsible decision without a doubt. And indeed, how did my husband explain himself to the perplexed? At a farewell gathering given by the rebellion, which took place in Mr. Parker's mythological cafeteria, Rabbaman asked the assembled, what would you rather be? a spectator in the grandstands or a player on the field. All of you who know him know that he always liked using sport analogies. I, he continued, would rather be a player than a spectator. As Jewish history is being forged in Eretz Israel and not in Chutzlaris. And a spectator sits and watches in comfort while a player takes risks. And so it was. If Jewish history is forged not only in the political arena, but also in the religious arena, in the passing on the Messorah in all its complexity and abundance to the next generation, then my husband, Rabbi was a superstar. His yeshiva became the Gush, the place where young men from United States, Canada, Brazil, South Africa, Australia, England, came to learn returning to his to their homes after having been exposed to his derekli mud, his hashkafa, his musar, his hanaga, And they brought back what they had learned and experienced to their communities as individual, as balei batim, as teachers, and as rabbonim. And they made a difference in their communities. Changes happened in England, South Africa, and Australia, where Bate Midrash were opened for returning students who attended local universities. American young men began returning to learn in the yeshiva during intercession, and the long summer break, and the hegemony of 4th of July and Labor Day was replaced by Tisha B'Av and Rosh Chodesh Elul. His students became lay and rabbinical leaders in their communities. They internalized his Dmut Jukan. They sought his guidance and advice. I contend that my husband's influence was the result of the years that he nurtured and developed Yeshivat Haritzion, not only as a Makom Torah for Israelis, but as a Torah center committed to offering B'nai Chutz Laaretz its very best. This could only have been done in Eretz Yisrael. I would like to suggest several factors that were responsible for this phenomenon. The first is undoubtedly my husband's continuing commitment to educating B'nai Torah from the diaspora. Many have noted his ability to present opposing views and to encompass contradictions. Yoel Finkelman describes him insightfully, and I quote, he, 
Rabbi, Rabbi Lichtenstein, wanted to explain that the, the world, that world to us, from the perspective of Torah, a polyphonic textual tradition and canon which includes multiple voices. Rabbi Aaron wants to understand and wants us to understand the multiple sides of an issue, unquote. Rabbi left the United States out of a deep inner conviction that a Jew needs to live in Eretz Israel, but he was able to listen to the voices of those who remained where fate, destiny, and choice had put them. He listened to these voices, respected them, understood them, and was committed to educating their sons and in later years their daughters. And he went about doing this in his usual thorough and careful manner. Trips to the states in England to, to trip to the states in England to personally handpick every student who was to learn at Harvard's own were yearly occurrences. His entrance exams have been written about. They were an educational experience that had two foci, a logical understanding of any sugya the young man might have learned and challenging him to understand and reflect about the world in which he lived. The second factor was the clear moral message that Rabarin never hesitated to present to his students. His tolerance of moral turpitude was zero. Irrespective of the moral failing was not getting up for a pregnant woman in the bus, the excessive bombing of Beirut in the first Lebanon war, giving a standardized husband for a genuine gadol, making a hero of someone who had murdered Muslims at prayer, or being intellectually dishonest, to name just a few of the failings he addressed in his sikhot and the beta medrash and in the written media. The world about him was subject to moral scrutiny based on clear Torah values, and he was unexpected in a world where people are expected to take standardized positions on issues. And halachic Jew can have no empathy for the psychological difficulty encountered by homosexuals or unwed mothers who wish to be part of the religious world. A Rosh Hashiva of a Hezdiyak Shiva can have no empathy for Arabs and understands that brute force is necessary in times of conflict. And a rabbi who quotes Milton is obviously not respectful of Gedolei Torah of the Haredi world. And obviously, a rabbi need never reveal to the non-knowledgeable that Yahadus has a polyphonic textual tradition and canon which includes multiple voices. I would like to suggest that many of the moral issues on which my husband, Rabarin, took a stand were directly related to the Israeli public arena, and he was indeed also a player in the political process. And for the first time, B'nai Chutzlaris were witnessed, witnesses to how a Yirei Shadmayim could be part of a secular Jewish state, wholeheartedly celebrating Yom Ha'atzma'ut on the one hand, while on the other hand cognizant of the obvious, obvious difficulties that were an integral part of such a situation, call its leaders to task when they failed to pass muster. He scrutinized what was happening in the public area, kept his peace, 
and then, after having thought the matter through, took a queer, clear and unequivocal stand on the issue, no matter who espoused another, but to his mind misguided position. The issues to mention just a few were Sabra and Shatila, conscientious objection by soldiers, relationships to secular Jews, or how one understands Jewish history. The other positions were posited by such diverse people as Harav Shach, Prime Minister Begin, Harav Shapiro, and Harav Cook. B'nai Chutzlaretz have different challenges. Those that have faced religious Jews and communities who live in a Christian society, irrespective of whether there is separation of church and state over the centuries. At Yeshivat Haritzion, these young men were exposed to the intricacies and subtleties of Kitavau el Haaretz Asher Ani Notein Lachem. Coming to the land that was given to us by the Almighty obligates us to live by the divine word, not only as individuals, but as a polity. And they witnessed how, from the very Beit Medrash, where they were challenged to scrutinize carefully each text, to see how it was related to other texts, to understand the implications of their words, the same careful scrutiny was applied to the world around them, to society and government, to its political and religious leaders, clearly and unequivocally. And that society and government were in Eretz Yisrael. And the third factor I would like to suggest was the clear and obvious difference in the educational experience that the Chutznikim, as they are affectionately called, experienced at Yeshivat Har Etzion. The young men who arrived every Rosh Chodesh Elo were experiencing for the first time an unadulterated yeshiva experience. There are a myriad of unadulterated yeshiva experiences in the United States, but they are an expression of the Haredi worldview. But in our world? While I do not wish to enter in a discussion of the merits and the drawbacks of a dual program, there is, to my mind, no doubt that a dual program demands that the Ben Torah bifurcate himself, while a single program excuse me, allows him the luxury of immersing himself in a single-minded manner. <coughs> and yet, I would, like to suggest, I would like to suggest that it was not only the single-mindedness of the rich program they were exposed to, but Rabbi's attitude to Torah and culture and knowledge that played a major role in his influence on his Talmudim. <coughs> Rabbi Aaron did not believe in synthesis, was not a fan of Torah and Mada, never considered himself modern orthodox. He, as the rub before him, did not like hyphenated words. He was a man of Torah and Yirat Shamayim that Shlomo Fisher has very astutely characterized, committed to, quote, to intellectual and analytical Torah study and to high general culture the latter providing a universal foundation on which the particular Jewish edifice can rise and rise much, much higher. <coughs> I believe, I believe 
at the clarity of vision that Torah is the lodestar of our existence, the ability to encompass and to be enriched by the best of what the general world had written and thought about man and his destiny, the ability to be part of the Jewish polity while being firmly anchored in the Beit Midrash with the unique qualities that could only have come into full play in an institution that was molded and shaped by Rav Aram in partnership with Harav Amital. It was only in an institution that was predicated on the assumption that B'nai Torah are to participate in the building of a state and that moral imperative at times takes precedence over the immediate command of Talmud Torah and that the needs of Claudius Yisrael are of import, could the full meaning of have the impact that it did. It was an only an, an, an inst, in an institution that was predicated on the assumption that the centrality of Talmud Torah was unquestioned that the moral message have greater impact. Being a partner in the building of a Jewish polity was no reason to suspend moral judgment that was firmly rooted in halacha or a reason to glorify or justify that state. It was only in an institution where both Rashi Yeshiva gave clear and unequivocal messages, yet neither was afraid of difference or of being different, that students were exposed to the simplicity of life and to the complexity of life. There is one great certitude, Yirat Shamayim Torah, and as for the rest of it, my friends, there is no easy formula or simple answer. It was only in such a setting in Eretz Israel that this was possible. When we left the United States so many years ago, so many decades ago, I am sure that my husband, Rebaran, did not realize the full implication of his decision as I have spelled it out this evening. However, he did know full well that he wanted to be part of the making of Jewish history. And indeed, he did become a player on that playing field and a good one at that. And in conclusion, I want to end where I started. The deep bond forged between my husband and his Talmudim was as meaningful to him as it was to each and every one of you. He loved you no less than you loved him. And your love, devotion, and respect are precious to me, to his children, and to his yeshiva. Yehi zichro ne'er